0: And so this morning, in Romans chapter, did I say fifteen? I meant fourteen. I can't remember what I said. We're in chapter fourteen, and um, so this morning we're going to look at this this concept of judging. You know, and that is in our culture. That's almost like the unpardonable sin. Have you ever kind of like picked that up from our culture? Like, don't don't judge, don't judge me. You can't judge me. This kind of thing. Well. In this in this passage we're going to look at today and what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we are going to see the concept of not judging, but it's in a very specific area. It's in the area for, for believers and the area of non-essentials that aren't defined in the Bible, these amoral issues that tend to come up, that tend to cause disruption in local churches. And these are the areas that we're talking to. Now, in clear areas of doctrinal teaching and sin, well, clearly we're to judge, that's, that's what 1 Corinthians tells us to do. Um, but we're judging in-house first, right? We're cleaning our own front porch first, as the saying goes. And so when we talk about this morning, who gets to judge, we're talking about in the area of non-essentials, we're talking about the area of amoral issues. And so who gets to judge and when do they get to judge? And so as a quick review, the last... Couple of weeks, we learned that right and wrong on amoral issues are non essentials, and we define that by things that are not explicitly stated in the Bible. Uh, Right and wrong in those areas has largely to do not where you come, not where you come down on an issue, but how you come down on an issue. That's the issue. Right? And so it has largely to do with your own understanding, your attitude before the Lord, and your attitude to others. And so we've said it a couple of different ways, but really, let me just repeat the, the phrase that just keeps coming to my mind. The issue's not the issue. Your attitude or response to the issue's the issue, right? So we're just to kind of use the word issue as many times in one sentence as we possibly can to kind of give us some remembrance of this truth. The issue's not the issue, right? And we've talked about what all those potential issues are are and we won't go through those again ad nauseum. The other thing that we saw last week and this is important and key in fact what you're going to find is that this is even talked about in the very last verse of this chapter is this it this is it the main issue is what's under the hood. Now those of you that like cars which I'm not one of them. I like cars when they get me from A to Z and then I forget all about them, right? And I don't like them when they don't get me from A to Z. But those of you that actually like cars, like to get under the hood, the idea is that getting under the hood in the believer's life, it gives us the, the impression that there's something more than just external attitudes, something more than just internal behavior, something more than where you fall on a certain issue as to whether or not you're right or wrong. And this is what we're talking about when we say, What's under the hood? And that's what we looked at last week. In fact, we looked at two things. Um, are you fully convinced in your mind? And the idea is that in these areas of non-essentials, do you take the stance that you take because you've studied it in the word of God and you're convinced that that's what the Lord wants you to do? See, many people don't even take the time to do that. We just do what our, our Christian culture around us does and we just kind of fit in. We just, we just as, as they say, we just stay below the radar. We just don't want to be called out. So if everyone wears a tie, well, I'm going to drop down to Goodwill and buy me a, a few ties that I can mix and match on Sundays, right? Or if everyone's wearing flip-flops, I'm going to slide over and get me a dollar pair of flip-flops so I can kind of start fitting in with the culture, right? It's not that I've thought through these issues or I feel comfortable with these issues myself or I'm convinced by the word of God. It's just I'm trying to fit in. See, that's unbiblical. That approach right there is unbiblical. Are you fully convinced in your mind? We looked at that last week. That's what's going on under the hood. And then secondly, are you doing as what you're doing in non-essentials as unto the Lord? And what that means is this. Are you doing what you're doing, walking by faith and dependence on the Lord? And see, this is the thing about non-essentials. And we can't lose track of the main thing because we get so bent on Harry Potter and we get so bent on how we school our kids. And we get so bent on this and that and every area of non-essential that we can possibly get bent on. And we forget the main thing is, are you in fellowship with the Lord and are you walking by faith in him? That's it. Moment by moment basis, whatever decision you make in non-essential areas, are you doing it as unto the Lord? And that's why when you jump down to verse 23, look at that very last phrase. Talk about summing it up. For whatever is not of faith is sin there we go. That's the area of non-essential. We could, I literally, we could take off the next couple of weeks. That's, that's it. Whatever's not a faith is sin. What are you doing in non-essential areas? And I'm asking you this morning, are you fully convinced from the word of God, from what your understanding of biblical principles are? And are you doing it as unto the Lord? If so, God bless you. Keep rolling, keep trucking, Don't get distracted by anybody. Keep on trucking. And then keep growing in your doctrinal understanding. That doesn't mean that you're going to stay there. In fact, how many of us have ever, just for a show of hands, and sorry to do this, I don't do this a lot, show of hands, how many of you believers in the audience have ever changed your mind on a non-essential over time, given further teaching? Okay, thank you. Look around. That's almost everybody. That's the point. So, so where you stand today, the, the concrete that you want to pour around your feet, you might want to make it like sand and not concrete. You know what I'm saying? So this is what we're talking about. But today, that's all we can worry about. Are you doing what you do as unto the Lord? And if you are, God bless you. God bless you. Go on. Keep, keep going on in that way. Remember in these passages, the strong versus the weak, we're talking about strong and weak doctrinally, not strong and weak morally, okay? Just again, just to kind of point out here. And so a great summary, again, we're gonna see this in verse 10 today, but we see this in verse three. The strong are not to despise the weak. The weak are not to judge the strong. And so last week where we finished off was in verse nine. And he says in verse nine, for to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. See, so whether we live or die, we're the Lord, since Jesus Christ is the believer's owner, now verse 10 follows. If, if that's true, if Jesus Christ is the believer's owner, look at verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Why do you judge your brother? And this this question is for the weak believer. This goes back all the way to verses 3 and 4. It's the same word that we keep seeing over and over and over again. This word judge means to separate, to discriminate between good and evil and it came to mean judging someone as guilty. This is this is passing a condemnatory judgment on somebody else. You remember the issue that Paul brought up? It was in the area of food. It was in the area of of observing days, but we can insert any non-essential into this. There's a judgmental, critical, condemnatory response to other believers who are exercising maybe liberty in certain areas. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. And so he says, he asked that question, why do you judge? And so in their lack of understanding of sound doctrine, these weak believers actually judged other believers or evaluated them on their spirituality, solely based on what they did in non-essential areas. And so think of it this way. You know, what they did is these believers came in. They saw a, a group of believers who were exercising liberty in the area of eating meat. And remember why that was an issue? Because in this culture, um, if a lot of the meat in the pagan culture was, was slaughtered and then sacrificed and offered to idols. And then they would take that same meat after offering it to their gods, bring it out into the marketplace and sell it to whoever wanted to buy it. And so these believers would come in. They'd see other believers eating meat that they knew they had bought at the marketplace. They said, and they would say, man, you're sinful. You're carnal. You, you are wrong. You are not walking with the Lord. We might have to exercise church discipline on you for eating meat or something to that effect. There was this condemnatory kind of deal. And see, one of the things that's a dangerous thing, and this is, this is what's gonna come out this morning, is when you start to pass this kind of condemnatory judgment in the area of non-essentials, in the area of liberties, what we don't realize is that you and I don't have the full picture to make that judgment. See, one's got the full picture. His name is Jesus Christ. He understands motives. He understands what people understand. He understands people's hearts. He he understands what people are thinking. And so he's going to be the only one qualified to make that evaluation. See, to to take a look at somebody, wow, they're wearing shorts to church. They must be unspiritual. That's, we don't have the whole picture, right? We we ought to understand that. This is what he's saying. This is a condemnatory view in these areas of non-essentials. In fact, it appears that they were passing judgment in such a way that they did not believe the Lord could even accept them. Like, wow, you're eating meat. I mean, the Lord Jesus could never accept you in this area, non-essential, uh, eating meat. They, were, they, they would just believe that, they were, that these other believers were unacceptable to the Lord. And what they were doing is they were taking the position of a fruit inspector uh, fruit of the loom inspector, right? I mean, they're inspecting everything. I mean, they're kind of just checking it all out, keeping their eye on, on who's behaving and who's doing what's spiritual. And, and if you've ever been in a church like that, that is exactly what it feels like. If it's ever happened to you, that's exactly what it feels like. You know, you sit down and someone's staring at you and whispering about you like, what, you know, do I have toilet paper hanging out of my pants? I'm like, what's going on here, right? And you come into church, and then you, you sit down, and you're not sitting in the right spot. And then you stand up, and you don't have the right clothes on. And then you go out, and you go out the wrong door. You know, let hey, say that, hey, the right door is reserved for the pastor. You know, you got to go. I mean, it's just all these crazy, weird Judgmental, condemnatory things. Everyone's always looking down their nose at you. But the reason they're looking down their nose at you oftentimes is because they don't want other people to look down their nose at them. And it becomes this vicious cycle of condemnation. And this is what we're talking about here. And this is, you know, the, the typical quality control or the quality assurance people in churches and all you pass, you pass. Oh, you're going to have to stay behind. You know, you fail. And this is what we're talking about here. Don't we can't, we can't be passing condemnatory judgments on people. But here's the thing. When people do that to us, guess how we respond? Well, some of us grow in doctrine. We become strong. And then we start to despise the people that used to do that to us. And see, we respond with just as negative and sinful an attitude as they had initially, it just looks a little bit differently. And that's why uh, Paul also asked in verse 10, why do you show contempt for your brother? And you know, it's the word contempt, it's translated here. This question's for the strong doctrine believer. And you know what? It's the same word used in verse three, the word translated despise. It's the same word that we have here. It's just translated contempt here. And so this word, as mentioned before, means to treat with scorn or to reject with scorn. And it came to to mean despising someone where you question their value. They're they're worthless. They're not even worth my consideration. I I don't even want to deal with that person because they're so cotton-picking judgmental. Or they're looking down their nose at me. I don't even want to deal with that person because they don't even understand grace. Right? We get righteous about that like man they don't understand grace and but if you understand grace we we can exercise grace that's usually how that's supposed to work so but this is the attitude and so they have this frustration with their brother's lack of understanding and then they would take this attitude of disdain or scorn see and what we we see about this brother they they also were taking upon themselves a position of judgment they were passing a judgment as to someone else's value because of their lack of understanding of truth, especially as it related to these areas of non-essentials. And here's the thing, and we're going to say this a couple of times, but the problem is, is that they may not be accurate in their assessment because they don't know what's going on under the hood. That's what we keep coming back to. And this is why Paul is going to to give these two questions. and, And he's going to tell us the reason that he was so astounded by this. The reason that he says, do you judge your brother? Do you have contempt for your brother? Why is he so astounded? Notice the next word in verse 10. That word for. Again, he's further explaining. Why is he asking these questions? Why is he so astounded? Guess what? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See, the very thing that you and I are doing on a daily basis in passing judgment, uh, scorning people that don't understand, guess what? Jesus is going to take care of it all one day. (laughs) So why are we wrapped around the axle trying to do Jesus's job on a day-to-day basis? See, this is really the point, I think, of where Paul is going here. Listen, guys, relax. There's more important things to focus on. Guys, we've got a message that can change the destiny, eternal destiny of people in our community. And we want to fight about Harry Potter. We want, we want to separate over schooling. We want to separate over whether or not you have a margarita, you know, when it's cheap down at the local Mexican restaurant. I mean, seriously, like don't, You know, do we have better things to do with our mental energy and resources than to do that? And guess what? Jesus is going to sort it out and he's going to do it well. He's going to do it perfect. In fact, he's going to do it in such a way we're going to see from our passage today that when he does it in our own life, we're going to agree with him. We're going to be like, yep, that's right. (laughs) You're right, Jesus. I, I was wrong. I thought I had this one down. I didn't. You were right. And you know what? We're going to be okay with that. We're going to be okay with that. He's got this thing under control so we can trust him. So we see this phrase, we shall all stand. I want to notice two words in this phrase in verse 10. The, the first one is we. It indicates that Paul and the other believers in Rome. But by implication, all believers. That means you and I as well. Believers in Jesus Christ. We will all stand. And then the next word is all. Again, Every single believer, no exceptions, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And you know what's really ironic in this whole area of non-essentials? And if you'll just self-examine yourself for just a moment, do you know that we are not even consistent in applying these truths in our lives as it relates to non-essentials? In fact, if you just look at your own life and recognize your own hypocrisy in these very areas— how in the world could we evaluate somebody else accurately? You see the point? So we're just going to leave that to Jesus Christ. He's going to take care of that. He's going to do it well. He's going to do it perfect. He's going to know what's going on under the hood. He's going to know what's going on in the mind. He's going to know the motivations for why we do what we do. He's going to have that all taken care of. So we don't have to worry about that in others. And this is kind of the, the, one of the main points, I think, that Paul is making here. The other thing that we see is this, we shall stand as a future indicative, and that just indicates it's a promise. It's going to happen. It's, It's guaranteed. It's not something that might happen. It's going to happen. It will happen for every believer in Jesus Christ. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Why is this universal appearance of all believers at the judgment seat of Christ significant to our context? Well, we've already talked about it. This is why believers shouldn't pass judgment or scorn other believers, especially in the area of non-essentials, when we don't know what's going on under the hood. In fact, when you look at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to talk about this in a second. But what's being evaluated there? It's not the believer's sin. The believer's sin was already judged 2,000 years ago in the person of our substitute. It's not that God's gonna be bringing up our sin. No, so there's this, like, view out there in Christianity, and we've shared this before, where, you know, they th- think the judgment seat of Christ, like, you're going to show up to heaven, God's going to put your your life on a big screen, everyone's just going to sit back with a box of popcorn, just ready to laugh at all the mistakes that you made after you became a Christian, and and, like, duck their head in shame for you because of all the sins that you've committed and all the mistakes that you've made. That's, that's not the judgment seat of Christ. I don't even know where that image came from. But man, that used to terrify me. And to this day, it would terrify me if that still were to happen, right? I, wonder, I don't want people to see what happens in my deep, deepest, darkest hours. My deepest, darkest secrets. That would be embarrassing. But the great thing about it is Jesus Christ still accepts me based on his righteousness, based on his finished work. Like, I don't have to earn my way to heaven. Like, He did it all. I mean, it's just, isn't that the truth of the gospel? Just, doesn't it just want you to make you stand up and shout and rejoice? I mean, Christ accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And so, when we appear at the beam of seat judgment of Christ, our good works are going to be evaluated. And that indicates that not every good work is rewardable. You ever thought about that? That provides a contrast, right? We're we're all about wow, good works, good works, good works, and we you know we did a whole series on acceptable service um, over a year ago here, and the idea is that there are going to be some good works that are evaluated as unacceptable, good works, not sin, good works that are going to be unacceptable, non-rewardable, and see, Jesus is going to sort all that out because Jesus isn't confused. Oh man. He witnessed to somebody, he read his Bible for an hour. I guess that's a good work. I mean, that's how we are, right? You know, I said, well, I did a good work. I shared the gospel with two people today. Well, you could have been doing it in the flesh so that you could brag to me later when we met that you shared the gospel with two people, right? And that was your motivation. See, Jesus isn't going to be confused. He's going to know what's going on under the hood. And that's what's going to come to light at the Bema seat. Remember, this judgment. This bema or bema is really how it's pronounced, but I'll go back and forth. But uh, it's a reward judgment, and it's based on Christ's evaluation of the believer's good works. In fact, this is a picture of the the bema or what's left of it in Athens. It was just it was a raised platform. That's what it was, and and so um, this is actually where they believe Paul gave the. Uh, His message in Acts 17, uh, Mars Hill at the Aeropagus, that's uh, believed to be the site. And so it's just a raised platform of evaluation, oftentimes used in athletic games, oftentimes used in athletic games. And last time I checked, the person that loses the 100-meter dash in the Olympics doesn't get stoned or beaten or whipped. They get the silver medal. (laughs) They get a different reward, right? And the person that finishes fourth place, they don't get a reward. They go home and and cry and wait, you know, four years and try to do that thing again, right? And hope that Usain Bolt retires, you know, so they, they can actually have a chance. If If our timing's right, we believe that this is the evaluation that's going to occur immediately after the rapture of the church and before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so, Um, Again, we've put that timing together in detail in some of our studies you can find online uh, with the book of Revelation. But that's um, when we believe that this event will happen. And then this is so important because it fits in with our passage. See, this evaluation at the Bema, why Paul is saying, for we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The evaluation at the Bema is going to be based on source. What source, as a believer, did you execute the good works In your Christian life. That's the deal. In other words, God is is much more interested about what's under the hood than just activities in and of themselves. And this is the thing that we've got to understand because when you go to 1 Corinthians 3, we don't have time this morning, but 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, we've got a foundation that's been laid. No other foundation can be laid than that which is laid Jesus Christ. And then we're building on that foundation. See, we're not talking about sin. We're not talking about bad choice. We're talking about the good works. We're building on that foundation. And I believe we're going to show up, and I don't know how it's going to look, but the, here's a stack of good works we're going to look. In. And from our perspective, they're all good. But we're going to be shown at that moment that some of those aren't good, or aren't rewardable, aren't, weren't acceptable. We did them in our own strength. We did them in our own power. We did it for our own glory. We didn't do it in God's time and we pushed the envelope. We did it when it was convenient for us. We did it at a halftime of a football game because that's the only time we could work it into our schedule. We sure weren't going to miss the second half, right? And this is how we think about good works. Well, I can't do it on Tuesday. My show's on, so I have to wait until Wednesday to get that thing accomplished, right? Or or whatever. I mean, there's so many different motivation kind of things that come in or, um, or, or go out as it were. And so the positive outcome of this evaluation is reward. The negative outcome, as I mentioned, is loss of rewards, not punishment. It's not a penal judgment. Okay. So it's a loss of reward. And so the main point is this, if we can summarize it, Christ is going to sort out true motives based on one's understanding, whether or not the believer was functioning under the principle as unto the Lord. Remember verses six through eight, we saw that phrase repeated six Times in these areas of non-essentials. Are you doing in areas of non-essentials as unto the Lord? Are you doing it by faith? Whatever's not of faith is sin. That's the principle that we're trying to take away here. Versus, what where do you come down on this issue? That's not the issue. How do you come down on the issue? And how do you respond to others who don't come down on the issue that you came down, the side that you came down on, right? You know, they can disagree with me and be wrong if they want to, right? That's a, that's a joke. Um, sorry, I slipped that in there. You weren't suspecting that. They can, be, they can be different than me, but the way that I treat them should not be impacted. My biggest concern for them is, okay, you disagree with me. Here's what I got to know. Are you doing it as unto the Lord? What's your understanding of the situation? Okay, I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not trying to convert converts to homeschooling. I'm not converting converts to not reading Harry Potter. I'm not converting converts to veganism, right? Like I would never do that, by the way. But, I, but you're not trying to convert people to your way of thinking. You're, you're trying to encourage them to walk by faith and enjoy fellowship with the Lord with what they understand. And again, we're talking about areas of non-essentials. Remember this. Verse 3 told us, we have been received by God. Past tense. How? Based on Christ's finished work. We've been received by God, but the question is, will he be rewarded? That's the question here. We've been received by God, but will we be rewarded? See, being received by God is based on the finished work of Christ. Being rewarded is based on the, the believer's earthly works and their source from which they did them. That's what we're talking about at the Bema. And so Paul quotes a a verse from the Old Testament. In verse 11, he says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now, do we have any Greek scholars in the room this morning? Anyone want to take a guess what every means? It's hard. I mean, that's a complex word. You know, it's... We were joking in Sunday school, there was a tri, what was it, a tri-compound word. It, this isn't even a tri-compound word. This is like baby Greek. It just means every. I mean, I'm kind of being facetious. But, it, but this is why Paul quotes it here. Every knee shall bow to me. Believer and unbeliever alike. Every tongue shall confess to God, believer and unbeliever alike. And see, again, why is he bringing this up here? Well, he's, he's encouraging the believers stop passing judgment on your fellow brothers and sisters in these areas of non-essentials. God's going to take care of this. Jesus has got this handled. And so Paul quotes Isaiah 45, 23, and just proves his point that even believers will face some form of judgment or evaluation. Now, one of the things that most believers understand, and maybe, maybe that's an overstatement, but, but hopefully we understand is that we will never appear before the great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. Hope, I hope you understand that. Uh, like even on your worst day as a believer, you're still never in danger of being there. Okay, that's, that's the beautiful truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for all of your sins. That's another difficult word in the Greek for some people, but it's really simple. All means all means he paid past present and future and if he paid the penalty for your sins what penalty could remain for you to pay and that's why there is none and that's why John 3:16 can say that if you believe in him you shall not perish what's the wages of sin what's the penalty for sin death what will you never do if you put your faith in Christ you'll never die You'll never face that death penalty because he faced it for you. So this is why the believer will never appear before the great white throne judgment. But as we look at the Bema seat judgment of Christ, there's a lot of confusion. Am I right? I mean, it, it just abounds. And it's just a bounce. And it's really, really sad um, because some think that believers will never be evaluated. They'll just take the tact like, Oh, yeah, once you're saved, you're in. You're never going to be evaluated. It's all good when you get there. And just, who cares? Just go, man, eat, drink, be merry, have a ball. Just go do your thing. That That's not true. <laughs> There's going to be an evaluation of our life. But other other believers, and this is where the, I believe most of the confusion comes in. I don't think a lot of people hold to that first point. But a lot of people hold to a variety of these next couple points that we're looking at. And basically what they'll say is if you don't live a faithful enough life, that you're going to face some consequences. And depending on who you talk to, these are some of the consequences that people believe. By the way, I don't agree with any of these, um, but I wanted to share with you why there's some confusion or maybe it's just some uncertainty uh, in this whole area. Some believe, uh, some people believe that you can miss out on the marriage supper of the Lamb if you live an unfaithful Christian life. You're just going to miss out, you know. And some people are like, ah, who cares? It's just food, uh, you know. I'll, you know, I'll get hooked up in heaven or the millennial kingdom. I mean, you have an, an attitude about it. Um, but some people believe that you'll actually miss out on this time of rejoicing. Some people believe you'll miss out on the whole millennial kingdom. They'll, they'll teach that you're just be you'll just be out. You. you you're not in the walls, you're, you're out kind of deal. Some people believe that you, you might be relegated to the ghetto sections of heaven. Yeah, I mean, I've actually heard this. <laughs> laugh, I mean, laugh, but I've heard this taught and, and said. I didn't know heaven had ghetto sections, honestly, but maybe it's parts of Milwaukee, Doug. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> joking, joking. That's my boy, he He knows. I'm joking. No, but ghetto sections of heaven, right? So some people say you're not faithful enough. You, you may end up in a bad section of heaven. You know, you might not have access to Jesus, you know. Some people will teach that you may face extreme punishment known as outer darkness. Some people teach this. We did a whole series on this. It's on our website on a Sunday night. You can check it out if you've never heard that before. But it's taken taking passages and talking about unfaithful servants being severed into cut into and to have their place with the hypocrites where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And some people will apply that to believers, unfaithfulness in the believer's life, that this is what will happen to them. And then the worst one, obviously, is that they'll say, well, if you're not faithful enough, you'll, you'll lose our salvation. And this one, this one really astounds me. Like this could be a whole message, honestly, but let me just say this. If, if it's grace when you got saved, how could it be anything else but grace to stay saved? I mean, you, you don't earn it or deserve it the moment you put your faith, but you're saying that after I put my faith in Christ who cried out, it is finished, it's all done, that 20 years from now that my salvation is now all of a sudden going to be dependent on me? Well, then it was never dependent on Christ in the first place and vice versa. If it was dependent on Christ in the first place, it's always going to be dependent on Jesus Christ. And that's why when we say we're 100% sure we're going to heaven, it's not because we're bragging about us. It's because we're bragging about him. We're confident in what he accomplished on our behalf. And that's why I've, I've often said there's a very popular teacher, and I'm not going to name him by name, but he doesn't hold to that view. And so somebody asked him in an interview one day, how sure are you, sir, that you're going to heaven? And he, he sat there and thought, he said, I'm about 95% sure. Sure. About 95% sure. And I've always said my 100% certainty versus his 95%, his is 10 times more arrogant than mine. And I actually have more assurance because I know I'm not good enough. If somebody said, John, what's your chance to go to heaven on your own? Not 95, man, zero. <laughs> zero. Not 0.1. Zero to the times 10 to the whatever power that still makes it Zero right? That's what we're talking about. And so anyways, like I said, that could be a message all in and of itself. Now, one of the things that we see in verse 11 is he quotes this verse, probably sounds familiar to us because we find it in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It's the same concept, quoting from the same place. And the idea is that everyone's going to give an account for their life and everyone will recognize and agree with God that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, we see the verses here, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. That's a way of saying everybody, right? And as he kind of gives those three descriptions and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And by the way, This is exactly what Paul was saying in verses 7 and 9 of Romans 14, that as we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this reason, Christ died and rose and lived again so that we belong to the Lord. There's an an ownership aspect. And so how does this play out? Well, it plays out for the unbeliever not well. They appear before the great white throne judgment. And what they're going to recognize on that day is that they missed out on having their sins paid for. In fact, it's even sadder than that. Their sins were paid for. They missed out on benefiting from the one who died for them in their place so that they wouldn't have to face that death penalty. Jesus took their eternal death penalty upon himself. And you know what? They're going to go to hell because they rejected the only one who could save them. That is, that is tragic. That really should break our heart. So that's for the unbeliever. For the believer, they're going to appear before the bema seat, judgment of Christ. And, you know, they're going to recognize that although they trusted in Christ for salvation and they are saved, because it's like, you know, it's like being pregnant. You're not kind of pregnant, like you either are or you ain't, right? I mean, you're either pregnant or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. You can know that today because the finished work of Jesus Christ happened 2,000 years ago. And God said... I accept what he did. And how do we know that? How can we be convinced that God accepted what Jesus did for you? He raised him from the dead. That's the proof. He wants to persuade you with the resurrection that you can trust your eternal destiny to the one who died for you and rose again. That's all you need. And so you can know today that you're saved. You can know today that you will be saved. We talk about the three tenses of salvation often, but this is what we're talking about. But the one thing that believers are going to realize at the judgment seat of Christ is that they didn't walk by faith every moment of every day. Now, that in and of itself shouldn't blow you away. If you think you walk by faith every moment of every day, you know, come talk to me. We need to have a talk. I need to either learn how you do that or we need to get a professional involved with you like, psychologist, (laughs) because this doesn't happen. I I wish it did. I wish we were more consistent in this, but we don't do it. Oftentimes, we walk according to the flesh. That's just the truth. We're not encouraging that. That's just the truth. That's what happens on a day-to-day basis, and, you know, we're going to realize that we weren't submitting to the lordship of Christ in our daily lives in certain areas, and, you know, what we're going to realize is that we missed out on potential reward as a result of that. Remember, the, the word confess, as it's used here, that, I've got the Greek word for those of you that enjoy that or can understand what that means, but it just means to say the same thing. It means to express agreement with. That's what confession means. And so what are we, what are we going to confess at this time? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, we're gonna confess the truth that Paul just told us in verses seven and nine, whether you realize it or not, Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's your owner. You you no longer own yourself. The decisions you make reflect upon Jesus Christ. We're going to recognize it that day in full. We're going to recognize it in that day in full. Also, this word confess is a future indicative, saying it's going to happen. The other thing that it tells us is that at the the beam of seat judgment of Christ, we're going to be in complete agreement with the Lord's evaluation of what we did. Imagine that. I I mean... we wouldn't do it because it wouldn't be acceptable in our Christian culture. I mean, I get that. But if we were to sit you down and say, hey, what good works are you doing that are acceptable to the Lord? And, and we forced you to kind of sit there and write them out and think through, like, what you're doing. You know, many of us would, 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 would have a nice list. I mean, I know some of you. I, I mean, I think you'd have a nice list. I mean, that's my opinion. You'd have a nice list. You'd write it down. And then if I were to ask you, how many of those are going to be rewardable? What would you say? I mean, conceptually, we know probably not all of them. But if I asked you to pick which ones won't be rewardable, you wouldn't, you really wouldn't be able to evaluate that clearly. Now, why do we bring this up in relation to non-essentials? If you can't even evaluate your decisions clearly, how are you going to evaluate other believers' decisions clearly? See the point? See why this even, why is this coming in at this point? This is why it's coming in. Because again, largely it's a result of what's going on under the hood. And so in verse 12, we see there's going to be an accounting required. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And so we're all as believers going to stand before the Bema verse 10 every knee shall bow and every tongue confess verse 11 we just looked at that so paul can simply conclude so then or therefore each of us shall give an account of him to god shall give is a future active indicative it's it's a guarantee you will you know you, how many people love giving reports and getting up in front of people and talking well whether you like it or not your day's coming you're going you're to give up you're going to give an account for your life you're going to give an account Um, The the word account, ironically, is the Greek word logos, which many of you would recognize, very common Greek word that's kind of thrown out there. It just means to speak intelligently, the word as an expression of that intelligence. Speaking the word or as an expression of that intelligence. And so the idea communicated is that we will all, each of us, again, that word all, will give a report of some kind of God. And this report's going to be in regards to how our lives and how we spend our time. How we spend our resources, our energy, our, our money, our gifting, our, our skill set. You know, How did we take advantage of the resources that God has provided us in Jesus Christ? How did we take advantage of exposing ourselves to people that would teach us what those resources are so that we can learn them and begin to apply them? See, there's lots of accounting that's going to go on here because we make decisions on a daily basis that impact our ability to actually walk in fellowship with the Lord. We, just, we do it all the time. We do it, uh, unfortunately, uh, second nature. We, we default certain ways in the decisions that we make. And so one day, all of these decisions are going to make a difference, you know? You know, do you, do you own a membership at a gym? I do. You might not be able to, to tell um, sometimes. But, you know, I own a membership at a gym, now, is that decision in and of itself wrong? Or is that decision in and of itself right? No, it's a non-essential area. But if that becomes something I do instead of ministry that God has called me to do, what if I, what if I showed up on Monday and I just, you know, Ross looks down to me and I'm like, I, I lean over and I'm like, hey, Carl, can you take this one? I was at the gym all week. Go ahead. You know, I mean, how unfaithful is that? I mean, in terms of the calling and what what God has got me here to do, and those kind of things. But you you could put that in anything. Is it wrong to own a boat? No. Is it right to own a boat? No. It's just it's neutral. It's it's an it's a non essential area. But but are you on the boat? Is that your God? Is that your idol more than it is? your life and the resources that God has given you in Jesus Christ. And you know, we could go on and on just because I didn't name your thing or, or my thing, right? We could go on. These, this is what we're talking about. There's so many amoral issues. Can you be spiritual on a Sunday morning at the Mercedes Benz dome waiting for the Falcons to play a football game? Well, let me ask you this. Can you be in fellowship with the Lord? Or does, you know, when you get out of Coweta County, like, the fellowship thing, like, shuts down. Can't happen. Getting to Fulton County, ooh, man, that's a fellowship with the Lord's really hard, right? I mean, no, of course you can be spiritual. Can you, and here's the other question. Can you be unspiritual sitting in this building every Sunday morning, week after week after week, rejecting, stiff-arming the Word of God, rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting what God is teaching you through His Word? Can you be unspiritual every week sitting here in this building in these beautiful chairs? Yeah, this ambient light, these creative power. No, just kidding. I mean, yeah, you can. You can. That's the point. That This is what we're talking about here, the, the, that there's going to be a day where an accounting is going to be given as to how we spend our resources. And again, it's not about the thing. It's not about the issue. It's not about the what. It's about, it's always about the who. It's always about fellowship. It's always about, being in dependence upon the Lord, having your mind engaged with spiritual truth and responding to it by faith. Say, so you know what? That's true. I believe that because God's word says it. So in context, another reason this is brought up is to point out that our ultimate accounting will be to God and not to one another. Now let's jump into verse 13. We'll kind of finish this section up. So verse 13 <laughs> Verse 13 says this. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. By the way, that's Lipton tea that Kermit is drinking, just just so you know. All right. So therefore, he he, he concludes this section with a therefore. Since we all, each one of us, will give an account uh, uh, to God for our lives, based on that, What's the next comment? Don't judge. Let us not judge one another. By the way, did you pick up that next word? Anymore. Anymore. <laughs> you know, we always say, well, I, wanna, I wish I was part of the first century church. They didn't have, pr-. yeah, they did. Yes, they did. They had problems just like us. They, they had people just like us. So they had problems just like us. Uh, The word judge is the same word we've been looking at. And so the point is this, when you consider the particulars of the case that Paul has put forward, number one, we belong to the Lord, and ultimately the evaluation is his, those are the particulars of the case, we're to cease passing a sentence, a a condemnatory sentence on our brethren. And see, this doesn't fall in line with our responsibility or right, and it's kind of like an old job posting, you know, that position has been filled, okay, we we're not hiring for that position. That position has been filled. Jesus has filled that position. He's going to take care of that. He's got that under control. So the word translated, not anymore, means no further. Again, indicates that this has been going on in this church. And so again, this is in the area of non-essentials. I keep coming back to that because understand this. When there's something that's doctrinally clear, that's, that's clearly sinful, that's immoral, we are to judge that in the church. So don't, don't get bought into this culture thing, oh, you shouldn't judge. That's the worst thing. You can't judge me. You can't judge this. But understand this, that judgment starts in the house of God. And if we had to separate ourselves from everybody in the world that was sinning, you're going to have to go to Mars. You know, once they figure that thing out, you're just going to have to go. But then you're going to mess that up, too, because so, you're out there <laughs> sinning. Um, and so the, the point is this. In the area of non-essentials, here's the, here's the issue. Heart motive, faith mindset. Where's your heart? What do you understand? Are you doing as unto the Lord? Whatever's not of faith is sin. And you know what? I don't know what those weird homeschoolers are doing or why they're doing it. But you know what? I better know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you know, I better walk by faith in what I'm doing as unto the Lord. And you know you can you can apply that across the board. So we'll, we'll just keep going. But then he says, do judge. It, it's, it's an unfortunate translation in the New King James because he says, rather resolve this. And it's like it's a different word, but it's actually the same word uh, that we've been translating judge. It's kreno in the Greek. But he's saying, don't judge this way, but do judge this way. And so he's saying, more importantly, if you excuse me, as you, as you have separated or considered the facts in the case that Paul's put forward, um, form these two opinions. The, if you want to make a judgment, form these two opinions. And so what is the first opinion form? Well, don't put a stumbling block in our brother's way. Literally, do not put a stone of stumbling in your brother's path. Um, you know, I mean, literally, think about what that looks like. Somebody's running and you, and you Toss a stone out there, hope they trip on it. That's, that's the mindset. You know, that's um, clearly not in line with what we're talking about here. So in other words, don't try to cause your brother to trip in any non-essential area. Um, you might say it in a positive, what I'm more interested in for my brother or sister in Christ is that whatever they're doing in these areas, they're doing it as unto the Lord. That might be what I check into. That might be what I pursue. That might be what I talk to them about. That's the positive way. Let me see, let me check. I want to encourage them that what they're doing, they're doing it as unto the Lord. That's the idea. And, and you know, sometimes in our misguided efforts to help someone convert to our way of thinking on a non-essential, we, we do a lot of these mistakes. We, we clutter their path with all sorts of things that will trip them up. And and we're not doing it for their good. We're doing it so that they will fall on the same side of the issue that we fall on. And inevitably, we it's like, you know, the three-year-old's room, like at night, you know, you gotta, you can't walk through because there's like toys everywhere. You're gonna trip. And we do that to our fellow brothers and sisters sometimes. If we didn't, then Paul wouldn't have to tell us not to do it. He, so he's saying we need to make this judgment that we don't want to become a stumbling block for somebody else. And then the second opinion formed, don't put a cause to fall in our brother's way. And this is a little bit more insidious because cause to fall was used of a trigger of a trap on which bait was placed, which when touched by the animal would, would cause the closure of that entrapment. This is the idea that you're, um, as, a, as a brother, you're setting a trap to cause your brother's entrapment to do something uh, that would violate their conscience in doing. You know, and and how would that work? How would that look um, in the Roman culture? And we can, you can apply all of these, uh, all these non-essentials. But real simply, um, the way I could see this working out is, hey, you know, hey, buddy. Hey, Ross, my buddy. Let's have dinner together and let's invite Mark over there that doesn't understand that he can't eat meat. And when he gets here, we'll put a piece of meat on his plate and let's see if he eats it. <laughs> that might be one way they would bait or trap because now there's kind of this this uh, peer pressure, this this. Christian cultural influence. And yet Mark, man, bless his heart. He doesn't understand that he can eat meat. He's he's coming out of Judaism. He's still kind of wrestling with the Mosaic Law. And now he's in a he's in a real bind. Should he eat, does he want to make a stand against his friends in this area that he's still kind of wrestling with himself? Where well he'll violate his conscience. And you know. That's just not something a good brother or sister in Christ would do. And that's what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. Am I going to take my liberty? Am I going to jam it into his face and make him like it, whether he likes it or not? Am I going to try, am I trying so hard to convert him to my way of thinking that I'm setting him up to fail? You know, years ago, I'll close with this story. By the way, the next couple of weeks, we're going to see this played out. Your liberties in Christ are not the most important thing in your life. Can we just agree with that? The, the person sitting next to you is always more important than whether or not you get to exercise your liberties. That's what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. But let me just end with this story. Um, I went to a, we had a, a really good group of, of people who, um, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, we had a really good group of young, married, young kids small group at a church that we went to one time, and the guys used to get together and and watch um, all sorts of athletic contests. This guy had a, a suite set up in his backyard, pool, big screen, projector, uh, we could we could start it later, like we could help our wives get our kids to bed, and then we could go out there because he would tape it and t- TiVo. Oh, it was just a great invention, right? So, we start the game. We don't watch uh, we don't watch commercials. But one of the things this these, this group did is is many of them had been believers and they understood their liberty in Christ, and so they they would offer alcohol at these events. You could have soda too. You didn't have to drink alcohol, and, and, and. But there was just this this freedom, this understanding of freedom, until. One day, um, a, 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 one of the guys showed up and brought a friend. And what we didn't know at the time is that the friend was a new believer. And he came out of, of a background of alcoholism. And so put into that situation, he had already determined in his mind, look, I'm an alcoholic. I can't touch a drop of alcohol or it's going to go downhill for me. And yet in that setting, the, a bait, a trap was set for him. As, as men around him were drinking, he, he took a drink. And then he took a second drink. And nobody was monitoring anybody because we were all, exer- you know, everyone was exercising their liberties in Christ. And, and he takes a drink. He took a second drink. He took a third drink. And finally, my f- uh, the friend that had brought him realized that he was drunk. And then he had to take him home, help him into his bed, and explain to his wife how he got drunk at a Christian function. Christian, you know, with guys. This is, this is how some of this stuff plays out. You know, there's the, we can go through a lot of other details, but uh, just to give you an example of how this, this baiting, this entrapment can happen in the liberties. And you know what? He, his life was so much imp- more important than whether or not anyone could drink beer at the stupid football game. I mean, come on. So those are, those are the kind of things that we're talking about. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Um, for this word. We thank you for your word. We just, uh, as we talk this morning, we think about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. Lord, we just, uh, we we can't get enough uh, of that message. We can't get enough of that story. Uh, We can't get enough of hearing about what he accomplished and how he did it. And um, so we just rejoice, Lord. We want to, in these areas of non-essentials, really really grow, uh, not only in our understanding of uh, biblical principles that might shape our opinion, Lord, but even grow in our understanding that that the issue is not the issue that our response and attitude uh, toward others toward you uh, is really the issue that you 're focusing in on, and so just give us that understanding, Lord. These things come up always in almost in every aspect of our daily life there 's so many um, areas of non essentials and uh, lord, we just don 't want to see your your church or your body divided over these silly things and Uh, So just give us wisdom uh, to exercise grace with one another, and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.